Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. But Father, this morning we ask that you would speak to our hearts and give us understanding. We pray, O oh God, that as we gather as your people, we would be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, that we would have joy in the midst of trials and tribulations, that we would rejoice in the midst of hardship and setbacks, and the Spirit of God would comfort us, would comfort this family, Lord. We know that you're faithful, Lord, and that where there's an advantage in darkness, your light has twice as much intensity of presence. And we know, Father God, that you are close to the brokenhearted. We know that you embrace the fatherless, the orphan, and the widow. We pray, Father God, that when we are going through these things, that your word would be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, that we would be comforted in your word, that we would find an answer in the midst of the mystery of the absence of loved ones, O oh God. We pray that your word would be a good seed planted in good hearts that will return good fruit, O oh God, that glorifies your name. That as we come to the house of God and contemplate these matters, you would heal the brokenhearted, Lord. You would embrace those that have experienced the loss of a mother, the loss of a father, the loss of a brother or sister, a loved one, a son or daughter, and that your grace would be sufficient. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. It's all the manner of, I, I want to use the word quirky. I don't even know if that's in the, in the dictionary. But quirky means like we're unsettled to know how to proceed. We don't even know what to say. One of the, the powerful things, I, I, years ago, there's an evangelist friend of ours when we first got saved. Her name was Cookie Rodriguez. She used to be a, a prostitute in the streets of New York. And she would get saved through the Teen Challenge and David Wilkerson. And she would go through rehab. And she became a powerhouse preacher. Her and her husband would move to Texas and start a rehab center themselves and an outreach for prostitutes and gangsters. And her son, Danny, can't remember if it's Denny or Danny, but he was their champion. He was their son. And apparently when they were having a church service and Danny was about, I want to say like 19 or 20, he went outside. He was really close to his parents. They had this inner city ministry. And he would go outside to the parking lot of his church and somebody was breaking into the car and he tried to tell the person to stop and the person shot him in the stomach. So this young pastor's son says, I know what I'll do. Instead of going back into the church and, and wasting time, since I have a bullet, I'm going to drive myself to the hospital. And driving himself to the hospital, he gets in a car accident because he was nervous, and he just dies. And so that was a big blow for Cookie and the, the whole ministry and the questioning, why would God permit these things and, and what's going on? And this aspect of graduating and going home and relating with the issue of death is something that is so pervasive and prevailing. It happens on every, almost instantly. We're going to see the statistics now. But it, it, 
you know, somebody came and they told Cookie and, and she was talking to me. And she goes, Joaquin, I hate how people tell me I know how you feel. It must be horrible. No, you don't know how I feel. I don't want to hear words that are just, just automatic pilot of, of, of saying things that make things worse. I'd rather people not say stuff, she said. I'd rather people not talk because it gets uncomfortable. It gets court. We don't know if we're saying something or if we shouldn't say something, if we should be present, absent. It's so quirky. It's so it's mysterious. And, and so in the midst of these things, um, there, there are stories that we can go back. Uh, in Ed Cole's book, he talks about uh, being at the funeral home and they sent uh, clothing to one of the bodies in a coffin of a man that was passing away, and, and he says, listen, you got to switch the heads on these guys because you put the wrong suit on the wrong body. And so all these stories are like, how, how could people be talking about these things in the midst of loss of life? And people tried to bring humor into it. I was looking at, at one of these uh, attempts to make humor of this experience and it talks about a man who was called by a funeral director. And he says, listen, we have a, a man who lost his life and he's homeless. He has no family. And he has no one's going to show up at his burial. And I just think the right thing to do is to hire you. This guy was, I don't know if you guys know what a bagpiper is. But it's the old Scottish uh, instrument that, that you usually hear in a funeral. And, and the funeral director felt compassion on this homeless man and paid the bagpiper to go to the funeral uh, that nobody would be present. Nobody would be there to say goodbye to this man. And so he gave him an address back in the woods of Oklahoma in the back country where this man would be buried. And the bagpiper woke up a little bit late, so he was running late and he got lost and he didn't ask for direction, so he finally arrived an hour after the ceremony. And he saw some men there. They were covering up the hole. And so he draws near to the hole, and he says, I'm just going to I'm gonna do what I was paid for, and I'm going to start singing Amazing Grace on my bagpipe. And so you guys know what it sounds like. It's, it's like that old Scottish. It brings a lot of nostalgia. And he says, I'm going to play it like I've never played it before to honor this man to which I am late to his funeral, to his burial. And so when he got near to the, to the place where the burial was taking place, the men that were there were having lunch. And they approached as he started playing Amazing Grace. And so as he played Amazing Grace, the men that were present began to weep. And he says, I've never played it as good as I played it that day. And I started from my car, and I opened the door, and I heard one of the workers, man, that was really moving. I've never seen anything like it. And I've been putting septic tanks in the ground for years. The guy missed the funeral. He missed the whole. He missed the whole thing. He showed up at a, at a septic tank installment place. Here's the statistics Every minute, 106 people die. So while we have a loss of life, and we were up in, in Lakeland, and we see this airplane in Cuba, right as we get to Lakeland, an airplane falls in Cuba, and 104 people die. 
And we've been in Cuba, and, and we've been on those airplanes that are 40 years old, and it's just a miracle that we're still here. On that airplane, we find out that there was 20 pastors and their wives that died from the Nazarene church. They were, there's going to be 20 churches this morning that don't have their pastors. And while it's a common reality of everyday experience, we're so distant from knowing what to say, what to do, what to feel. 106 people die every minute. That means 55,000 people die every day. That's, that's, that's a huge amount of people. That means 4.5 million people die every month. 4.5 million people die every month, and we're still unaware and distant of this reality. 4.5 million people a month. We can all say, I know somebody who died, a loved one of mine died, a friend of mine died, but imagine 4.5 million people each month. That equates 56 million people a year. If you live for 70 years, the statistic is, if you're 70 years old, in your lifetime, 4 billion people have died. So how could so many people be leaving this world and leaving this world and leaving this world and you are here with a bunch of superstition? There's more darkness and lack of understanding then there is a grasp of the statistic of one out of one person dies. What's that mean? Everybody is going to go. Every single one of us is going to go. And so this is, is saturating our existence. And so when the church started, I want to give you some insight. When this church started, we started giving out responsibilities. Who would do the baptism? Somebody would raise their hand. Who would do the weddings? Somebody would raise their hand. Who would do the presentations of the babies? Somebody would raise. Who would visit the hospital? And it says, who will go to the funeral homes? And I raise my hand. I'll do the departure of the saints. I'll do the saying goodbye. To those who we know, those people that we've experienced. Not because I'm morbid, not because I like death, but because I think it's a real place to contemplate our existence. It's a real place to see the reality of what is going to transpire to every single one of us. And so we have to have a solid understanding of this going home, of this saying goodbye. And so this book is saturated from beginning to end with the loss of life. Saturated with experiences of the unknown nature of death. To the extent that Ecclesiastes 3.20, this brings somewhat of comfort. It says we all go to the same place. What place? Since we were taken from the dust... We will all return to the dust. So we got to be careful. And this is, this is the pride of man. 
we, we put, a, we put a, a Calvin Klein outfit on. We put, a, we put a, a Gucci outfit. I don't know if they still do Gucci. Whatever the fashion is. And we think, wow, look at me. You're just a bunch of dust acting hot. You're not incredible because you wear a Rolex or a diamond ring. You better come off that cloud, my friend. You're dust. You're not, I don't, I don't know that dust could be impressive. I have Chanel on, be careful. Oh, you just dust with Chanel. You're not, you're not impressing anybody. Don't lift yourself up on your high horse. Yeah, but I drive a, you're just dust driving down the street, my friend. You're not going to be here pretty soon. You, you have a term of life and, and you will go back to the dust. And that is our reality. Our reality. We're all dust. We're going back to the dust. There's some proud dust on this earth. There's some proud dust. And there shouldn't be. So we start with that premise. We know that God took man from the dust of the earth and he formed him. And while we have lost understanding, Psalm 103 verse 14 says God knows our frame. He knows who he made here. He knows what we're made out of. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. How many thank God that God has not much of an expectation for us? When have you seen dust do anything impressive? We're the ones that think we let God down. We don't let God down. He's just a bunch of dust. The only thing that is special about us is that he breathed upon us and we became living souls. His breath on dust gives us mobility and existence. Thank God that God breathed on us. And since he gave the breath of life, my Bible says he's the only one that could take it back. There is no death, there is no accident, there is no disease, there is no airplane, there is nothing that could cut life short but the author of life. He determined our first day from our last day and we're not going to breathe one more time than the breath he's given us. We still don't understand that. I've ever since I, I was appointed the official death transition director here at the Spring of Life Fellowship, I've had the opportunity to be called to the deathbed of many. Now, one of the ones that I the first touched my heart, really incredible, was a, a young woman like Issa. She was leaving behind a 10-year-old and an 11-year-old son and daughter. And they called me to the hospital to speak to the children. And I was there when the doctor says, look, your mom has 15 minutes. She's going to live and then she's going to die. You guys come and say goodbye to her. And so I, had a sat, I sat there and prayed with those kids and, and shared the heart of God and made the, transmi- the transition of, of that, that going home of that absence of that mom to a 10-year-old and an 11-year-old. And, and you would think that's unnatural. No, it's not. It happens every day. It happens every day. We, we've had um, 
car accidents. I, I, I walked into one man's room. They called me to the Mercy Hospital, and I walk into and this guy's like, oh, I can't believe I'm dying. I can't believe I'm dying. I said, sir, in a couple of hours here, you're going to pass away, and you could leave this room singing to the Lord of glory and rejoicing because you've come into knowing Christ, and we could rejoice that you have eternal salvation, or you could go super depressed. But the spirit of anguish and depression in this room is crazy. And we begin to sing to the Lord. And we begin to sing songs of of worship and praise. And the the presence in the room changed from deep darkness that you could feel to light, uh, exuberance, and joy and peace. And that man left with a smile on his face. That man left with with a different expression. So death doesn't have it on us. We got to be careful that we know a lot about it. My favorite verse is Acts 13, 36. This is the expression for all of us. I'm sorry if you had other plans upon the earth, but you were created to serve your creator. You were created to know God, to serve him, and to go home. This is not your home. And so this verse to me puts it in a capsule and a parenthesis. For David, talking about one of the ones that went before us, as soon as he had finished serving his own generation, as soon, the the moment he finished with his assignment, he's out of here. He's gone. After he had served his own generation doing the will of God, he fell asleep. He was buried with those who went before him, and his body saw corruption. His body saw decay because this body was designed to not live forever. This is not our glorified body. We'll see that also in the scriptures. But let it be your prayer, Lord. You you put me on this world to do an assignment. Let me know my assignment and let me go home. Let me go home. We have the expectation that we are home. We're not home. We are pilgrims and strangers passing on a foreign soil. This is not our land. Don't stick a claim to existence here. Have an opportunity to love, to serve, to be joyous, to have a great time while you're here. And then say goodbye to your loved ones. I'm going home. One of the verses that I have here in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 3, David is talking to Jonathan, and he takes a solemn oath again. Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. You and I are best friends, Jonathan. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and me not being here. There's one I don't know if you guys heard that they used to say that the, it, was, it was funny because they asked people at a conference, they said, how does your heart beat? And somebody said, okay, I hear tick-tock, tick-tock. And no, some other says, no, it says 
thump, 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 thump. And then, so everybody had a different way to express how they're, I don't know, put your, put, your, put your hand here on that little thing that's beating. How would you describe? As soon as that stops, you're gone. And that's what David is telling Jonathan. Look, this life, we're great friends. But there is just one step between me being here and me not being here. We were watching the Super Bowl several years ago, and one of the girls that was there got a, a phone call in the second quarter. Your mom was taking a left turn on 27th Avenue. A car was, ran the red light, hit your mom, and she's gone. She's gone. Who, who can think of a phone call like that in the middle of a Super Bowl game? Any one of us, if we understood life. Any one of us, if we understood our time frame. Judah Smith is a great preacher. His, his, his dad is Wendell Smith. His mom, she has, I forgot what her name is. I think it's Daisy. She was preaching at a conference. I was present. She says, my husband died last year at 51. That's not exciting for me to do. I'm, I'm 50. So Judah Smith, the father at 51, goes home to be with the Lord. And she testifies, if I would have known that he would only live to be 51, I wouldn't have made life so difficult for him. I wouldn't have spent time arguing so much. I wouldn't have spent time harassing him so long. I thought he was going to be 75. At 51, he went home. And she lamented. The same thing with the CEO from Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg. She comes out on Time Magazine making fun of her husband. She never had an opportunity to honor him. So they go to a resort, and he's on the walker, and he's at the gym at 6 o'clock in the morning as they're on vacation at a wedding, and, and bye-bye, he's gone. So they have to call the room and says, your husband just, what do you mean my husband just died? Yeah. No, he's not. He's at the gym. You got the wrong guy? No. That guy was on the walker, and he's gone. And so she laments now again because there's only a step. Between me and death. And, and let that be the measure of our reality. And you realize that some, some preacher had said once. This preacher says, this might be the last sermon I preach. I says, don't say that, pastor. That's too strong. Well, let's say it this way. This might be the last sermon you hear. <laughs> God is giving you one opportunity. Today, to get right with God. Amen. It might be the last one you hear. You're one step away from death. Amen. And understand that that's true. One of the big shockers was, was Claudio and Ashley, Marriott. They, they, they're concerned. They go to the doctor last week. And, and the doctor says, look, we heard the, the baby's heartbeat. It's, everything's fine. Just go and get bed rest. And then she goes home. And within hours, the heartbeat was no longer beating. So one second they tell you you're fine, and the next second you're in eternity. And there's no break with consciousness. You'll, you'll see that the Bible teaches that once we go to heaven, we still remember the people we left here. We see this in this passage, and Luke will see later on, but the man says, hey, could you go tell my brothers this was real? That there is a heaven and there is a hell, and so they don't come here? He's talking from eternity, trying to get... 
somebody back here to tell his five brothers, take this serious. This is real. You don't want to come to a place like where he landed. And so here, the last couple of years, 20 years in existence, this, is, this was funny, uh, funny somewhat. When you are a small baby church, what is exciting about the church is people are getting married and having babies. But because of the numbers scenario, once this church goes for 50 years, those people that were having babies and getting married, now we're not going to baby presentations and bridal showers. We're going to funerals because everybody's dying. I went out to a church in California. It's a four-square church. And their pastor is a general of the faith. And he started the church when he was in his 20s, but now he's 80, and when I walked into the congregation, it looked like a geriatrics facility. Everybody was plus 80 years old. And I said, this poor young pastor that was picked to pastor that church now has to do all these funerals. Almost every week, a family in his congregation, so they, I'll see you next week at a funeral. Hey, I'll see you next week at a funeral. Say you next week at a funeral. It's not bridal showers anymore. It's not the hospital receiving the baby in this real church. The, everybody, you walk in there, everybody has gray hair. There's nobody there that doesn't have gray hair. Just the pastor. I says, it must be very difficult to pastor a church where 500 of its congregants are all over the age of 80. They don't have a youth group. They have an elder group. The group of los viejitos. Isn't that incredible? Leo Gossage, a personal friend of ours who became a mentor, who, who was a best friend, who was a man who inspired you to excellence. We go to a marriage conference in Phoenix, Arizona, and, and we're learning. And, and here in my heart, this is what it is. Finally, I met a man who's who's after my heart with passionate excellence and exemplary wisdom. He would devour the word of God. And in my heart, I was like, I can't wait for the next 15 years to enjoy downloading from this man who loves God. And I receive a phone call while I'm having lunch two weeks later that he dies in Africa on a missionary trip. He gets in a car accident and he's no longer with us. I couldn't believe it. It was, like, it was like somebody punching me in my gut really hard. All of a sudden, I was having lunch. I lost my appetite. Could not believe that the exuberance of life was gone in, a, in an instant. Gone. Three daughters, young daughters. It doesn't make sense. His wife, Molly, a, a, an incredible pastor and wife team. It's, it's insane. We, we, we started praying for a young man named Johnny. He came out of prison. He would come to the church after prison. We prayed for him to get out. He came to the church, 35 years old, 36 years old. He starts coming to the men's group. There's a lot of potential in his life. And last summer, he gets off his car at a gas station 
and a man tells them something and he responds and they pull out machetes and they hit him several times with the machetes. He runs out in traffic and the car runs him over. He dies. 39 years old. And so they just brought me all his books last week. They brought me like about 300 of his books and they were all in preparation to preaching the gospel. They were all in preparation to how to, to, to prepare a sermon. How to... Uh, fight demons, how to do spiritual warfare. And this young man who, who didn't know wisdom, because if somebody wants to pick a fight on the street, don't get caught up in that. Don't cross the path of an angry man, a man of wrath. He's gone. The only thing that we have left is, is all these books. And so... The stress of this journey and this valley is beyond us unless we read the word of God. I love what Jesus told the thief on the cross in Luke 23, 43. He turns to him and he says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So we have all this, we're like, uh, uh, and they're rejoicing. The Lord is wiping the tears from their face. There's not going to be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more tears. Surely I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. Where is that for us? Where is that for us? And why are we stuck on, on bringing all the superstition? What, what is it that we are coloring the existence of the future with our tainted misunderstanding? Instead of seeing them in the light of their joy and peace. What right do we have to clout what is not true? I, I love the verse in 2 Corinthians 5.8. Paul says, yeah, this dust goes back to the dust. But to be absent in the flesh, in the body, is to be present with the Lord. To not be here means we're over there with the Lord. And so on this side of eternity, you're the one that's depressed and full of Un lack of understanding, but on the other side of eternity, we are confident. We're, we're maybe, if we talk to somebody, we could depress them enough with our story. Because we don't have the right narrative. We don't have the right story. Yes, well, please, rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I don't know any darkness or depression or sadness in his presence. I don't know. I don't know why your narrative is different. Luke 16, verse 22, when Lazarus dies, the Bible says, now the poor man who died, his spirit was carried by the angels. What's that mean? These are uber, eternal service. As soon as you leave, there's a car there to pick you up. It's called an angel. I hope it's an angel for you, sir. I hope it's not a demon. I hope you're not terrified in the moment of transition. You might be terrified because the angels are kind of big. Imagine, what are you guys doing here? It's time. No, it can't be time. Yes, it's time. You're coming with us. Well, how could it be time? Because you didn't figure it out that you have a limited amount of time and you... We're distracted and disconnected. You didn't know the season. Carried away by the angels. 
to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. But he find himself in a different place. He find himself in a, a totally different place. The Bible says that as soon as we die, we're going to receive a glorified body. 1 Corinthians 15.54 When this corrupt outer man has to put on incorruption, this mortal body has to put on immortality, you need to have a different suit to go up into eternity. That's when we will say death has been swallowed up by victory. Death no longer has a hold on me. I'm not subject to a body of corruption. I have a glorified body. John chapter 20, verse 19, the Bible says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked. Well, what's the issue with the doors being locked? The disciples were inside because they were scared of the Jews. They came, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, Be Peace be with you. This is Jesus after he dies. He goes through a wall. The doors are locked, but now he finds himself in the presence of his disciples. And he shows his disciple in verse 20 his hands and his side as they were pierced. And when they saw evidence of his life, the disciples turned their mourning into gladness. When they saw the Lord now in a different state, in a different outer covering. And it's super powerful because Thomas was not there, verse 24. Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. He was still walking in unbelief. In verse 25, they, the other disciples say to him, we saw the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see his hands in the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hands in his side, I will not believe. Thomas the unbeliever, the incredulous. <laughs> I don't know if Jesus, what, what he was waiting for, but verse 26, as this man is talking about his unbelief, the Bible says eight days later the disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Get it with me. The door's being locked. Jesus stood in the midst and said, Peace be to you. Verse 27. He said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands and put your hand here and place it on my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. It's a reality in this body that he was able to touch and to evidence the reality of Christ's return. There, there has to be something with, with this whole experience of loss of life when the Bible says that Jesus appeared to the 12 and then he appeared to 500. We, we need to have a confidence in this transition in a powerful mindset. The people that have a good grasp on this, like Billy Graham, him and D.O. Moody wrote these words. I'm, I'm going to first talk about the, uh, the Billy Graham. He, was just, he just passed away a couple of months ago. And he says, someday you're going to read in the newspaper that Billy Graham is dead. Don't believe it for a second. I will be more alive than I ever have been. I have just changed my address 
I will have gone into the presence of God. What, what, a, what a champion. Because we are so full of superstition and darkness and depression and demon climate, we don't know that these people have changed address. They have their, their dwelling place in heaven. Jesus says, fear not. In my Father's house, there's many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I wouldn't tell you it. But having it been a reality, then prepare yourself for your transitional, uh, your, your time here on earth is to prepare for your mansion in heaven. This is one man that lived here on earth, and he kept on giving a lot of money to the church and to the work of God and to the kingdom and to the reaching lost men. And the, the, his friends would say, what are you doing? He says, I'm sending my supplies to heaven. And another man showed up to heaven, and all there was was a bunch of old wood and rotted nails. And he's like, there's, there's your cabin. He says, why is that? He says, that's all the supplies you sent up here. You didn't treasure in heaven. Your, your, your glory was on earth. It was passing. There's some people that, that believe in eternity more than they do on this earth. Dwight D.L. Moody said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody from East, Field, uh, from East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like Jesus' glorious body. These men had a vision of the, the eternal dwelling place they would find themselves in. Luke chapter 9, verse 28, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Transfiguration. He's going up to a high place to pray, and in verse 29 says, As they reached this mountain, the face of the Lord appeared to be altered, and his robes became white and glistening. Verse 29, I mean verse 30, they were able to see him talking to two men. One was Moses and the other was Elijah. He's talking to two men who have been off the face of the earth for over thousands of years. He's talking to them. Verse 31, they appeared in glory and they spoke of the manner in which he would die, which was about to take place in Jerusalem. They were making arrangements for his departure. And we are still terrified. We still don't know. I, I tell my dad all the time, Dad, give me a glimpse of heaven, brother, before you leave. See something in the spiritual realm so your utterances are spiritual motivated and not earthly depressed. Give us confidence of the faith walk that you're in by seeing something that's not here and now. He says that they appeared in glory and spoke 
of his decease. Elijah says to Elijah, I'm about to be taken to heaven. You keep an eye on me. Keep close. And Joseph would call his sons and says, let me pray for you guys. Isaac would call his sons, let me pray for you guys. Let me, since I'm going to leave and my appointment is near and I go to be with the fathers, let me give you my last words of blessing. We're living life so reckless, we don't, oops, he left. Did he say anything? No, he said, out. That's the best you could do for your family? Is to leave them an expression of the natural and not give them the supernatural blessing? 2 Samuel 12, verse 19, there was another incident here. Nathan went home, and the Lord caused the son of David to undergo and become very sick. So this is David and a child. I think this is really credible. And, and you know something? The, the parents of Esau are, are, are overwhelmed with sorrow. And in this moment, David is losing his child. David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, yeah, he's dead. If you read the verses before, verse 15, no, verse 16, David prayed to God for the baby. He pleaded to God for the child while he was alive, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. This is pre-departure. David is fasting, he's praying, he's depressed. Lord, deliver him. Verse 17. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground. And he would not let them get him from the ground, nor did he eat food while this process was taking place. Verse 18. This is King David. Then on the seventh day, seven days later, it came to pass that the child passed away. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him. And he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child has passed away? He may do something, something harmful. David might react in a wrong way. Verse 19. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child had passed. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he's dead. Verse 20. So David arose from the ground. He took a bath, washed and anointed himself, put cologne on, and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Isn't that an awesome legacy? When you don't have God, there's, there's nothing to come to God's house to do. But when you're going through things, to come to the house and worship is a good place. It's a good thing to be here in the house of God today. Amen. It's a great thing. We, we said the statistics are 53 million people who die every year. A lot of people are going to have a lot of questions. They're going to need this, this message. They need to press into reality and not continue in superstition. Then he went to his own house after he worshiped and he requested food. And he ate, verse 21, everyone was surprised. Why is he not depressed? Why doesn't he go on forever? Then his servant said to him, what is this that you have done? They're freaking out. You have fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but now that the child dies, you arose and ate food. Why aren't you sad anymore? Verse 22, David says, 
while the child was alive and struggling his disease, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell where the Lord will be gracious to me and allow the child to live? Verse 23. But now he is no longer here. He is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back with anything I do? I know that one day I'll go to be with him, but he's not going to come back to earth. He's not going to come back here. See, the order of events, and, and we get into all sorts of funny things when we start wanting to chant to the dead and communicate with the dead, and the Bible says, don't go there. That's not where you should be. You shall not consult the dead. And those people that move over to some type of, of uh, what's it called, uh, fortune teller, let me talk to my loved one and all stuff. You're going to set yourself up for deception because God has not set it up that way. You're going to go where they are, but they're not going to come here. They're not going to appear here. Make sure you take care of yourself that you don't walk in the occult. The devil says that it's able to appear as an angel of light. You don't want it to appear as one of your loved ones and you be all confused and caught up. Press into the word of God and understand that the dust goes back to the dust. The spirit goes to God who created it. And the soul falls asleep until the day that the Lord raises the dead. For we shall not all die, but we shall sleep. The soul goes into a place of rest. The spirit goes to heaven to be with God. The body is disseminated. And it goes into the ground. Or it's turned to ashes. Back to the dust where it was taken from. So all these elements show us a little bit more about eternity than we can get from asking a superstitious person. There's no break in consciousness. We continue with the personal knowledge we had before we died. We remember our family members. We have affection with them. There will be the determination of your eternal resting place, whether it be heaven or hell. The Bible describes it as a seed that is laid down that comes up as a glorious body. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, he shall live. There's a life, and we don't, we're not acquainted with that. One pastor said, if you see a seed... That's what our bodies look like here. But if you see a seed in relationship to a flower, you can never tell the flower by the seed. So imagine what our glorified bodies are going to look like when they're put into the ground. We're going to come back with, with an incredible, eternal, and glorified body. We're going to come back, you know, where disease and sin are not going to touch us. Super powerful that we walk in this reality. In this, this glorified body, uh, Paul tells the Corinthian believers, he tells them off. He goes, you guys are a bunch of dummies. You guys don't even understand what God is doing when, when this transition is taking place. He, he uses one word that is so powerful. I want to read it real quick because um, if you were talking to Paul and not to me this morning, 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 36, look what Paul says to the Corinthians. You foolish ones, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. If there's not a transition from this life to the next, there is no expression of eternity. 
I had a man that he was so flustered with death. This was about 15 years ago. I said, my, uh, my friend, you're not going to live to be, you're not, you only have 15 more years to live. He was like 70 years old. He got upset at me. He says, you're not to determine when I'm going to die. I'm leaving this church. I said, fine. I hope you find a church that prepares you for eternity. I hope that you understand that this is a transition of a life that we should be more acquainted with our eternal destination. I was at a conference in, in Phoenix, Arizona, a leadership conference, and these pastors had a son who was 17 years old. He's driving back late at night at 1 o'clock in the morning from a youth group. They, were, they stayed out too late. And as he was coming back, the car goes off the path and hits a tree, and their 17-year-old son dies. And the pastor, which was a world changer, he's a powerful man of God, and so is his wife. And they said, we don't know enough about eternity. Isn't that strange? That now our son is in eternity, he's in heaven, and we have zero knowledge because we've all been preaching about, you know, temporary things. Let's stand up this morning, and, and, and I thank God. Alex, welcome, sir. Sorry about your loss. Come up here. We have something for Alex. This is Isa's husband. He just wants to join us here at the church. God knows about what's going on. And we just got to a men's conference, and a man came up to us and gave us a book. And it says, The Widower's Journey. That means when you lose your wife, how you can go through this process. How many think God is involved? Absolutely. God is going ahead of us. And he's making a way. And, and if, if Alex wasn't in the Lord, he wouldn't be here after losing his wife last night. God is handing him the instruction manual to his next steps. He'll be prepared. It's not easy. The Bible says when Jesus approached Lazarus' tomb, he wept for the loss of his friendship. But he knew all manner of stuff that were going on. And so we need to be acquainted with this journey because the Bible says we're the ones to comfort others as they're going through their transition. Nobody could comfort a mother who's lost a child unless you're a mother who lost a child. Nobody could comfort a, a father that's lost his son unless you're a father that lost his son. Our, our drummer, Javier, was, I was his youth pastor, and he calls me in the middle of the night. My stepfather just assassinated my mom. He, he saw his mom murdered right before his very eyes. And I said, don't doubt the sovereignty of God. Don't question God's faithfulness because the devil wants you to cry on his shoulders to kill you and to destroy you. So this morning as, as Alex was calling one of the men here at church and says, look, I, I just feel horrible because of what has just happened. He says, do what David did, man. Go to the house of God and worship. So he went home, took a shower, came here to worship. And I'm proud of you. God is with you, man, 100%. Let's pray, guys. Father, thank you for this day in the house of the Lord. We celebrate Isa, Lord. We decide to say that she's a champion. She was an incredible daughter, an incredible wife, an incredible mom. Thank you for her life and our life, Lord, that we might celebrate her as long as we live, recalling and remembering, oh God, time we shared, Lord, and then we look forward 
to where she is now, Lord. We want to graduate too, Lord. We pray that your grace would be sufficient to sustain the family and the friends. Father, that you in the midst of this transition would take all the glory. That you would heal the brokenhearted, Lord. That you would restore our souls. As we've traveled through the valley of the shadow of death, your word says we're not to fear evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort us. And you prepare a table. There's provision in the presence of our enemies, Lord, as they mock us and they taunt us and they try to tear at us, Lord, that we might take the high road, Father God, of living according to the light of your word. I pray that your presence would be strong in this transition, Lord. I pray, Father God, that we would be the sufficiently comforted by your spirit. In the book of Isaiah, it says, On the day that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So a lot of times we need people to leave our lives so that you can take a greater place in our life, Lord. Let us see you, Father God, as we lose our heroes, as we lose those people that we love and celebrate, Lord, as they leave, you feel, fill their shoes. You fill their existence in our lives until we reunite in heaven. I pray that if anyone is here this morning, they would reconcile with God for this life is brief and but a mist. We're only here a brief time according to your word and then we will abide in eternity in one of two places. Give us a heart to desire heaven, oh God. Give us a heart to desire a kingdom without end and that we would shun Father God ending up in hell with unbelievers with liars with thieves oh God we pray that your grace would be sufficient in Alex's life and Vinny's life and Santi's life and Nilda's life Lord all those that are related Father God to this amazing woman and Father we to not say goodbye. We say Maranatha, soon God will come for us. Soon we will leave with the Lord upon his return and we will be with him for eternity. Continue to minister to our hearts and to heal us, Lord, and to remove those distorted concepts of death and going home, Lord, and replace them, O oh God, with the reality of the victory we have in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.